1: Yes it is and welcome back. Let me give the number right off the top 602508 0960 0960 is another way of putting it. 960 is the easy way to remembering it. Those are our that that is that those are our station's call numbers. If you missed um, my monologue in the first hour, I was talking about hate crime hoaxes, particularly what was said when Jussie Smollett first um, reported the crime to the police in 2019 and what hasn't been said since. I was talking not about necessarily those that texted and tweeted and wrote And went on television shows and put out press releases in sympathy with Jussie Smollett in 2019. But those who were indicting America, Donald Trump's America, and Americans for allowing and building a culture or society in which that hate crime could take place. And whether they were ever going to say anything about that, whether they were ever going to apologize for that. They apologized in, in, in many respects, not all. But many of them apologized a little bit by saying they were shocked and they, you know, hope for the best for Jesse. It was really a sympathy with with the perpetrator of a crime more than anything else. But were any of them planning on ever apologizing to America and Americans who they slandered or those who kind of liked living in – I hate the phrase Donald Trump's America – I no longer lived – in Donald Trump's America, then I live in Joe Biden's America, then I lived in George Bush's America, then I lived in Barack Obama's America. It's not their country. They are our servants. They we are their bosses. It's America. The notion that, you know, a president changes the entire culture of the country is itself not only a parochial, but a very stinted view of Republican government and even democracy, uh, the notion that we engage in consent of the governed here means that we who lose elections abide by those results. We abide by the results of elections we don't win on the theory that, you know, we need to make better arguments and campaign better than next time around or be convinced by the errancy of our ways, I suppose. But that's the justice governments, according to the Declaration of Independence. It's based on the consent of the governed. As I was talking about yesterday, Dr. Jaffa was pointing out once upon a time that another element of this consent of the governed is we consent to live by the laws that are passed by the country we live in. Yes, we can engage, of course, in civil disobedience so long as we take the just punishment of breaking those laws. And there's a far and wide tradition of that, going back to even before Thoreau, but certainly running through Thoreau and Gandhi and King and many, many others we used to esteem and we used to celebrate. My gosh, it was the left that instructed us that dissent was the highest form of patriotism, didn't didn't it? Weren't we supposed to be convinced of that once upon a time? In any event, um, that's what we consent to do. And if we don't like it, we can do one of three things. Live it out and wait till the next election. Leave the polity that we no longer agree with, or engage in criminal behavior, which we know is criminal behavior, and take the just rewards, take the punishment. Um, that's that's how it works here. And you'll notice that it's really only one side that ever thre- threatens to move out of this country if another side wins. It's... I. I don't remember hearing Republicans saying if Joe Biden wins, if Barack Obama wins, if Walter Mondale wins, if Mike Dukakis wins, if John Kerry wins, then I'm going to move to Canada or somewhere else. I I just – first of all, I don't know when we look around we find anywhere better to move to in in the first instance. And the second, I tend to think we're just a little bit more mature. We're just a little bit of a mature – movement because we do appreciate the notions deep within and running from our founding until today. We do understand that. That's why we believe in election integrity so much. That's why we believe the ballot matters so much. That's why we believe in voter ID, one man, one vote. The problem with how having vote of not having voter ID or not having election integrity, is that more than one person gets to vote. Excuse me, I didn't do that right. I'm sorry. One person gets to vote more than one time. That's what I meant. Sorry, I reversed that. It's not one man, one vote. It's one man, several votes. One woman, several votes. And we've seen a lot of evidence of this. Many of you in the audience have seen evidence of this. I have seen evidence of this, my best friend. Uh, from growing up who never vo- once voted in this state before he moved out uh, after the age of um, uh, after the age of 18, he he routinely still gets ballots by mail, never requested him to vote in Arizona elections still happens. I get it. Um, we all get it. We've all seen it. It's rotten. It's wrong. It needs to be fixed. That's why we're sincere about it. We think it matters. And I was watching someone talking today. About voter ID on an interview um, with I think it was um, I think it was I think it was Fox News, but it really doesn't matter whether it was Fox News or CBS. Both would apply. And they were saying, when I go on an airplane, I have to show ID. Why shouldn't I have to do it with something so sacred as the vote, which is what you keep telling me is one of the most sacred things. The vote. Yes, it is. You know, why didn't this person also say I had to show ID to even be on this stage with you, in this studio with you? Because I know all those places. I know the CBS headquarters. I know the CNN headquarters. I know the Fox News. I've been in all of them. And you had to show ID to get in even before 9-11. Even before 9-11, just to get in, you had to show ID. So when any of these people flapping their gums are arguing against it or arguing That it's somehow equivalent to a poll tax or that there's a racial animus behind the notion of voter ID. How? How? And how did they get on the very television set that they did get on to talk about it? They did so in their second act. Their first act was driving or being driven to that studio and their second was showing ID when they walked in. When they walked in, was that institution racist for asking these people of all colors, of all genders, of all stripes, of all nationalities for an I.D. before they got in? No. They realized that, you know, security is important. They realized that. This is something we now simply do for every facet in our lives, except supposedly the thing people fight and die for. The right to vote. So let's stop really with all this silliness. Let's stop it. By the way, all those lefties that threaten to leave whenever someone of their non-liking is elected or could be elected, yes, of course, it's, it's, it's obvious to point out they never do. But you know what's less obvious? The point I was making yesterday. What's less obvious is that they're very right To leave this country is part and parcel of two things. Consent to being governed and living by the laws of this land, A. And B, the knowledge that they don't actually live in an autocracy or tyranny, no matter what they say. They have the right to leave any time and with their property. They never do it. They never do it. I want to talk a little bit more about... Uh, hate crime hoaxes, as I was doing with Jesse Smollett, in just a few moments. But first, Mike is calling in from Maricopa. Mike, sorry about the connection problem earlier. Let me do this with you. I have to take a quick, uh, quick news break, a uh, quick commercial break. If you're willing to wait, if you have the time, I have the air. We'll be right back with you, Mike, on the other side of this break. Others can join too. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. The guy who wrote that song for Elvis wrote a lot of great songs, Dennis Lind. uh, He wrote some songs for the Dixie Chicks. He wrote some songs for Don Williams and... uh, Mark Chesna, Eddie Raven, Garth Brooks, Colin Baton Rouge for Garth Brooks. We have that in our bumper, too. Same guy wrote it. I love looking up who wrote these songs when sometimes the artists don't write them themselves. I don't think Elvis wrote anything for himself. Um, But... um, and I think Frank Sinatra only wrote one song. It's that Christmas song. Oh, by gosh, by golly, it's mistletoe and holly. I'm pretty sure that's the only song he ever wrote. Anyway, I just find it fun to see what uh, sometimes people write across uh, across the uh, various genres. Mike and Maricopa, thank you for your patience, sir. The floor is yours.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for the Elvis Presley. Uh, just as a trivia I was born on Elvis Presley's birthday. Oh, what day was that?
1: Tell me what Elvis's birthday was.
0: 8th of January, coming up here in about a month now, maybe a little three weeks. Well, call
1: in on your birthday so we can give you the appropriate birthday wishes, Mike.
0: Thank you. Thank you very
1: much. Yeah, well, don't do that, but do call in on your birthday. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, of course
0: okay I'll make a request now we play nothing were you born Elvis the same year up. people
1: don't realize how young Elvis... Yo,
0: give me a break I'd be 80 years old dude
1: well no, d- the, the only reason day. I asked was my mind is frozen in 1970 uh, 77 when he died I suppose because I remember it very well people don't realize how young he was when he died I guess someone the other day told me John Lennon was only 40 when he died I didn't know that Elvis Presley was only forty-two. Gosh, he I, I thought maybe sixty or something. <laughs> you know, by the way he looked. So anyway, yeah, I meant no well, slight. Yeah, he. Had... Anyway, I'm well. Anyway, I meant okay. a slight of your imitation. That I did mean to con- to criticize you on, but I didn't mean to slight you on your age.
0: <laughs> okay. Anyway.
1: Anyway. So let's proceed as if this is going well. Yeah.
0: Okay. And now I'm not sure. You know, we've talked the last couple of weeks about information influence operations. Yes, and I yes. I cannot say that this has to fit into there. But you see what the deal is. It's not necessarily good enough to be a protected minority. It's now that you have to be a victim, a survivor right. of an attack. Right. Just like this fake deal with Jesse Smollett. Right. And, and I'll, you know, The many, many years ago, 20 or 30 years ago, you had that deal, Matthew Shepard that was gay, that was hung on a fence. Yeah, that was used against
1: George W. Bush when he was running for president. I remember that case very well. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I understand that actually he was a drug addict and the, it was his drug pusher that because uh, he, he wasn't paying his bill. There was also that uh, right after 9-11 here in Phoenix, that Sal Singh Sodi that got shot because he, they, we were told that he was wearing a turban and the person, uh, as I understand, got him in contact with some people that do business, but he had a uh, quickie mart, something like that, and he had, had just recently recently had his uh, parking lot topped and it cost $40,000 and he wasn't paying oh, oh was that this deal? the person
1: who was said to be a Hindu who was confused with a Muslim is that that case Correct and that turned out to be a, 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 having nothing to do with his religion too I didn't know that
0: as far as I understand, okay. once you work into it, now okay. the media, of course, they wanted to play at the Muslim aspect okay. and everything, and then of course you've got the one with Al Sharpton and Tawana Brawley, where she had snuck out of her house and stayed oh, out. Oh, you all have night. several
1: with Al Sharpton. Yes, you have the Tawana Brawley stuff. You have the Fat, uh, the Freddie's Fashion Mart stuff. He 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 caused pogroms in New York City.
0: Yep. And that's all I wanted to say, and, and and the whole point is, you see, we've moved beyond, well, you know, you need the job because you're a woman, you need the job because you're black, you need the job because you're gay, and now that's not good enough, so you have to be a victim. Yeah, this you is, have to have this is, you're on something card. here,
1: yeah, you're on to something important here, uh, Mike. I, was, uh, en- I ended the show yesterday talking about this book I'm reading by John McWhorter called Woke Racism how a new religion has betrayed black America and the point he's making throughout the book. I mean, there's several points he makes beautifully throughout the book. I highly commend it. Woke racism by John McWhorter. He himself is an African American. He's a, he's a linguistics professor at uh, Columbia university. Um, His, he, he goes through the history of critical uh, race theory And critical legal studies and uh, relativism in the academy uh, going back uh, pretty far, going very far back. And and the point, he says, is it's reached it's reached a conclusion. It's reached a uh, never ending coda, if you will, where actual facts of an instance of bigotry or racism don't matter anymore. They don't matter at all. To the people who are now part of this church, part of this religion, all that matters is that their truth tells them they have been oppressed. It's really about their feelings more than any substantiated facts. I'll give you an example uh, in, in in my own introduction to critical race theory. You've been told again and again it doesn't exist in our schools. It's a abstruse concept taught in law schools which is much like saying um we're teaching in schools that uh the heavens and the earth were um were were were, were given were given to the universe and uh over the course of uh, six days more and more things were added and that a woman came out of uh, a man uh Uh, and his rib, but we're not teaching creationism. It would be something like that on order of what's going on in the schools today. They're just denying that it has the label critical race theory. But my introduction introduction to it was, in fact, in law school, where one of the chief proponents was one of our lecturers, a man named Derek Bell, then then a, 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 a professor of law at Harvard. And one of the bright lights of the critical race theory movement and critical legal studies movement. And he gave a lecture, perhaps some of you have heard me describe it before, where he was talking about Brown versus Board of Education, the famous integration decision. And he said it really had very little to do with integrating, you know, Linda Brown or African-Americans or blacks in Topeka. It was really about proving to the Soviet Union that we were not a racist society. And I remember then going, I was pretty good at research then, I'm pretty good at it now, I remember going back to research anyone in the 50s, or for that matter shortly thereafter in the early 60s, who said as much, and that person doesn't exist. This is an invention. Not only did it not exist as a point, that we were doing it to prove to the Soviet Union we were better to them. It never occurred to any of the justices who wrote the opinion, or for that matter, Thurgood Marshall, who wrote the brief for the NAACP. It's an invention. It's about feelings, not facts. I've really been into Glenn Campbell a lot lately, and I don't know why I was re-watching the documentary, The Wrecking Crew, showing it to someone for their first time, and uh, I had forgotten how prominent uh, Glenn Campbell was in The Wrecking Crew. These were the studio musicians in L.A. who centering around four or five members, but others came and went. Glenn Campbell was part of it at one point, uh, and then they backed him up when he launched his own solo career. But... um, how how much Glenn Campbell um, music I really dig and really like. I just, I, it's a big deal. I guess he used to have his own show too, which I forgot about. Listener Charles, um, always so darn smart. He heard me uh, earlier talking about this notion of Trump's America, something that was spoken about when Jussie Smollett initially claimed that MAGA wearing MAGA hat wearing thugs had tried to put a noose around or did put a noose around his neck um that a lot of people said welcome to Trump's America this is Trump's America when they back in the day when they believed Jesse Smollett before the story unraveled and I was saying how much I don't like these phrases so-and-so's America um this land was made for you and me as the old uh, as the old Woody Guthrie song goes um this land is your land. This land is my land. It's, it's no individual's America. Uh, and, it, and it's just odd when people say it. At least it rings odd to me. And if it doesn't, it should. It's as much your America as it is Joe Biden's. It's as much your America as, as it is Kamala Harris's. It's as much your America as it is Mike Pence's or Donald Trump's. But listener Charles was saying this is not Trump's America. If it was Trump's America, the president would have enjoyed a lot more widespread appreciation and at the very least some reasonable amount of cooperation. If it was ever Trump's America, he would have had a media that treated him with a modicum of fairness, athletes that enjoyed going to the White House and an entertainment industry that liked having him as a guest and even his own party would have provided him full-throated support. If it were Trump's America, his first lady would have been treated like a first lady. Her magazine cover looks would actually appear on magazine covers like other former first ladies. And the entertainment would like having her on as a guest as well. They wouldn't treat her as if she was merely dumb or perhaps part of some handmaid's tale. If it was Trump's America, college students would not have been penalized with lower grades and ridiculed for supporting him or having his spokesmen or defenders come to campus. If it was Trump's America, actors would not threaten him with violence, snub him from their events or show outrage if he wanted to use their music. If this were ever Trump's America, his family would not have been ridiculed and restaurants would not have thrown his cabinet members and prominent aides out of them. His minority cabinet members and minority, any minority person that supported him would not have been insulted as a sellout or propped up merely as a token. Yes, if it were Trump's America, there would have been a lot more things that would have been different or, in other words, at least a little bit different favorable to him, if not asking too much, just reasonable to him. If anyone is referred to as having their America being called their America, that would imply that the America that person would have would be on their side. It's only logical. Sorry, folks, it was never Trump's America. It is the Democrats' America, at least so they think, because simply if it wasn't people who are not Democrats don't politically agree with Democrats and choose to call themselves something other than Democrats would not be treated as badly as Republicans or Donald Trump or his supporters were treated. No, folks, this is the Democrats' America, and that is why things are so messed up. Well done, Charles. Well done. Try another season. (laughs) Try another version of it. You don't have to do it for the audience. We'll drive them nuts. Why is Leapson playing the Rockford Files? I can go off on the Rockford Files if you want. I can talk to you about private investigator television shows and what the Rockford Files meant to them if you want. We'll do that another time. First, I want to ask you if this makes you proud and if you thought this is what – 1954 and 1964 and the civil rights effort in this country was all about Centennial Elementary School one of the gr- bigger schools in Denver one of the more prominent public schools in Denver Colorado it is a public school it's a state run school making this all the more all the more poignant you know how schools have marquees when you drive by them with a little message, you know, home game tonight or homecoming next week or you know grades due. I, I I don't know tests due, exam week, whatever. They have congratulations, student of the month, teacher of the week, you name it on these marquees they have outside of schools. Let me read you. Um, let me read you what Centennial Elementary in Denver had, um, and I'll read it just exactly as it's printed in all caps or has the lettering has it in all caps. Families of color playground night. Wednesday twelve eight four ten PM Families of Color Playground Night. So only if you're black can you attend the playground. Now Christopher Rufo, who has done yeoman's work On uncovering these kinds of stories and detailing how critical race and resegregation theory has been put back into the public mindset of our schools, emailed the school, emailed the school district, Denver Public Schools, uh, Scott Pribble. And he wrote back – he's the media relations manager for Denver Public Schools – he wrote back to uh, Chris Rufo the following <clears throat> quote: "Denver Public Schools remains committed to fostering, cultivating and preserving a culture of inclusion and belonging where our students, families and team members are safe and welcomed. We are here to meet the needs of all our families and students." The school leaders at Centennial received a specific request from families to create a space of belonging. Centennial was responsive to their request. We support efforts like this as they provide connection, support, and inspiration for families which share similar experiences and come from similar backgrounds. Efforts like these are about uniting us, not dividing us. Let's just pick this word salad apart. Because it says a lot, even though you may think it says nothing. It actually does say a lot. Denver Public Schools remains committed to fostering, cultivating, and preserving a culture of inclusion and belonging. Evidently for all but white students, at least on December 8th of every year. Okay? It is not a culture of inclusion and belonging when you tell every other race, and by the way, I shouldn't, I, you know, every other race, they're welcome but one. Can you imagine that? What if it becomes a minority-majority district? What if it becomes the case where the white white population is actually uh, not as large in the district as the African-American or other persons of colors? What if that becomes the case? What if that becomes the case? Then will the grievance here be more important because the real minorities in that public school unit are are being excluded? No, it won't matter at all. They'll just look at the larger picture and context of America, of course. But in any event, to say that preserving a culture of inclusion and belonging is itself just a lie because it's isolating one race is not welcome. Whites, whites are not welcome. Um, it then goes on to say, where our students' families and team members are safe and welcomed. We are here to meet the needs of all our families and students. The school leaders at Centennial received a specific request from families to create a space of belonging. Centennial was responsive to that request. Do you know what that means? This is this is a version of what was taking place last year where schools and organizations were were prostrating themselves over their own racism, saying we are going to ex- think such things as we are going to examine the institutional racism, the systemic racism, the uh, latent bigotry in our organizations up till now. They're doing it again. They're doing it again. Why would you pay taxes? And how is it legitimate to even receive taxes Funding a public school system where families and team members are not safe and welcomed and where the needs of all families and students aren't being met based on race. How is this in any way acceptable? How is this in any way appropriate? How is this in any way legal? It shouldn't, It can't be done by a private school, a public school, even more so. When they admit to this kind of thing openly, it's a bad, bad joke, if not a violation of every civil rights law that's ever been written. Why is it a bad joke? That's more than just a rhetorical flourish of mine. It's a bad joke because who the, who the heck would accept only one day a year where all families are welcome and included based on on their race. Why just one day? Why not every day? If one day satisfies it, my goodness gracious, you've surrendered way too early. Why are you putting up with only one day? Why wouldn't it be every day? And why would you continue to pay taxes to a school that is not creating a culture of inclusion and belonging all the other days of the school year? You know, I sure hope these people get sued. I sure hope these people get sued. I'm not expecting it from the Department of Justice. But in a world where justice still should mean something, that's the first place that should be going after Denver Centennial. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Tim and Peoria, thank you for your patience, sir. Welcome
2: least and I can feel the frustration in your voice <laughs> where you almost said you almost said it, but you opted for a heck, and I would have rather you opt for the other. The
1: I other I don't wanna saturate, know. you know, we reserve no, these no. things for yeah.
2: <laughs> I know. I know, I know. So um great experience. So I you know, I this is the first I've heard about it. So I was thinking to myself. You're Tim. Are you you Tim, my teacher? Are you my teacher, Tim? I am. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So here we go. We're going to have fun. Uh, I have a good friend. Uh, You know, and I know the cliche is all white guys have a good friend who just happens to be black. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I have several, but this guy is a good friend because his daughter is a friend of, is my daughter's friend. When we think about what Centennial High School in Colorado is doing, don't little black girls and little black boys all have little white boys and little white girls who are their friends? I know in my case I do, or my daughter does, and they have great experiences. I will go back to kindergarten. When a, when a when the kindergarten teacher asked my daughter, she looked at my daughter's friend and said, what are the differences between you two? And they had their holding hands. And the girl, uh, my daughter's friend, looked at my daughter's hand. And I know what the teacher was looking for. The, the teacher is looking for the color of the skin mm-hmm. because that's what, that's what we look for yep. because that's the world that we live in. Yep. And unfortunately for the teacher, the young girl said that my daughter's hand just happened to be smaller than her hand and the teacher walked away. And I think it was much to the chagrin of the teacher as well as the other teachers in the room because they want race to be such a huge factor. Mm-hmm. I know that when I was teaching, Seth, Black History Month, now you you alluded to it, and I'm just going to kind of build off of it. Black History Month is in February. It doesn't matter whether it's 29 days or 28 days. It doesn't matter if it's the shortest month right, of the year. Right. We can talk about all that and have fun with it. Right. My principal once said to me when I had... The Tuskegee Airmen from the state of Arizona, from the Archer Ragsdale chapter. Oh, bless you. I had them come to my classroom bless you. because my kids had never seen these guys before. But I talked about, I go, hey, did you know that there are black war fighters,
1: bless pilots? You. Bless and
2: you. They didn't know it. In any event, my principal said, why didn't you wait for Black History Month? I go, well, you can't wait. Oh, my black gosh. Is American. Oh, my black God. History is American history. Tim,
1: Tim, this world. is such a big yeah. – u- will you do me a favor? I have the Holmans coming in. Such a big issue. Will you call back tomorrow? I, we usually don't do two in a row. Would you mind – this is such an important thing. Can you call me back you tomorrow? Betcha. Yes, sir. I would love it. Yeah, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I know you know who said that. That's what you were, of course – alluding to i'd also like to know tim if you ever saw the documentary blue eyes brown eyes if you haven't and you have a chance to on youtube or some version of that can you watch it too and tell me what you think bless you all we'll be right back with the Holmans.